Omar, thank you for making time today. My pleasure. I, I wish I was actually uh, at a beach, but unfortunately it's just the, the high tide logo, but I am wearing a, kind of a beach polo. It's good. So. And we often, we're going to talk politics and sometimes we talk politics. The wave is part of the analogy of what's about to happen. That is very true. That is very, when the wave comes, the wave comes. It can either <laughs> wash you in or, or sweep you out. <laughs> That's true. And, and actually good, good leeway. Uh, not leeway, segue, good segue. Um, obviously, we're in the midst of an election campaign, which we hadn't, yes. well, I, the opposition parties are suggesting they weren't expecting for some reason. Um, let's start there, maybe, because I want to talk at the intersection of cannabis and politics. You're the guy we want to talk to, of course. Um, talk a little bit about, um, was this unexpected? Because I think we hear a lot like, can't believe there's going to be an election. But to my knowledge, like people were talking about this for a very long time. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think anyone who follows politics closely, like you and I do, you know, for, for people like us, it, it's, it shouldn't have come as a surprise. I think it had been telegraphed for quite some time. Most of the people watching this segment today, um, you know, probably don't follow politics as closely as you and I do. So for them, you know, probably came as a bit of a surprise. But for sure, for, for, for political watchers and for political, uh, for political junkies like you and me, um, this has been this we've known that this is this has been coming for quite some time. Yeah. Can we talk um, strategy for one second? Then we'll get at the intersection of politics and cannabis. But it seems to me, I mean, there's lots that we don't know about the about COVID. Right. Um, but we do know about the political reality of today. And it seems like the liberals are choosing a very good time to have an election. I think. Am I wrong? Well, we, yeah, you have to you have to remember that the right now the current government in Canada is not uh, what we know as a majority government. So the Liberals have the most seats in Parliament, but they don't have a majority of seats in Parliament. So what they need to do is, on any given issue of the day, they need to get one at least one of the other main parties to back them. Um, so historically in Canada, you know that's known as a minority government, and, and again historically. The average lifespan of a minority government in Canada is about 18 to 36 months. We're kind of like right in the middle right now of that uh, of that time span. So, from 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 that perspective, you know, it's not a it's 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 not an odd time to to go back to the electorate right now. I know that a lot of folks have questions about whether or not um, you know it's appropriate to be having an election uh, in the middle of you know a pending fourth wave of, of COVID-19. Uh, I think the liberal argument will be that we have now seen in the United States and, and in other Canadian provinces that you can have an election uh, during times of COVID in, in a relatively safe way. There's new technologies out there that allow you to engage with voters virtually. Um, so yeah, they're going to, they're going to be creative. There's, you know, I don't see any big rallies or, you know, packed grip and grin type of events happening. Um, but you know, like I said, I think we've seen in, in particularly in the United States and with the Democratic Party in the United States, they really leverage technology to get around that. I think the other part of the, the liberal argumentation for why they are going to the electorate right now is going to be around the fact that the last time Canadians voted, which was in 2019, the world was completely different. Uh, so they're going to make an argument to Canadians that it's appropriate for them to now go back to voters, tell them what they want to do. Uh, with Canada, with our economy, with our society in a post-pandemic scenario uh, and get their approval for that. Uh, so I think that's part of the argumentation we'll see from the governing Liberals and, and we'll see if voters buy it or not. 
we will see that we've seen a little uh I, I think we've seen the ndp platform i know we've seen the conservative platform uh if you had to do a like a control f and mm. search for how many times the word cannabis comes in each of those well, i guess first question is does it second how and then i guess third does does it have impact on the sector positive or negative so conservatives have released their platform i believe yesterday um so no, there, there is not a single mention of cannabis in the platform. The NDP uh, released it a few days ago, uh, their, their platform. The only mention of cannabis, I believe, was with respect to moving forward with the expungement of criminal records for simple possession. The Liberal government moved forward with expedited pardons, but not actual expungements. Uh, we have yet to see a Liberal platform. Uh, you know, my hope is that uh, there will be uh, more robust mentions about cannabis, particularly from, from the perspective of you know, the, the industry's economic impact on Canada. I'd also like to see um, uh, some recognition of the fact that there probably can be more social equity built into the industry. Um, you know, we've seen uh, some moves along those lines down south in the US. Uh, we have yet to see that in Canada. So I'd, 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 I'm hopeful that we could see something like that perhaps. Um, but yeah, by and large, I think, most all well not most all of the main political parties have come to the determination that it is not in their political interest to really beat the cannabis drum and i and i think it's unfortunate for a number of reasons so it's unfortunate because this industry actually now directly and indirectly employs hundreds of thousands of canadians uh, i think if you look at the latest stats can data around the industry's direct contribution to Canada's GDP. So this is just the legal industry. Uh, it's now comparable to life sciences and the auto sector. Um, I know Leafly um, did a study or published a study about a year ago, maybe just over a year ago, that showed in 2020, uh, cannabis employment in Canada was two or three times the size of the auto sector. Uh, and we know how much attention and love the auto sector gets from politicians in the provinces and in Ottawa, uh, but that really hasn't translated, uh, you know, in a similar way with the cannabis industry. And there's many factors behind that. You know, in a follow-up question, I'm sure we can get to what's why that is. But but it's 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 important for the industry to know so we we can start plotting out how to rectify that situation moving forward. Yeah. Can I, can I actually ask, ask you to do like a little rearview mirror in a bit? Yeah. Because obviously in the last election, uh, this legalization was part of the plan, right? This was this was part of the liberal plan. We're going to legalize- The 2015 the election. Sorry, 2015. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going to legalize cannabis and here's all the reasons why. We're going to keep it out of the hands of kids. We're going to heavily regulate it. We're going to tax it, all those things. Um, was there political risk? There was political risk. Was there political benefit, I guess, to do that? And is that figuring into the calculation of where these parties are now, or is like people just aren't looking that far in the rearview mirror? So I think um, I, I think so. There is political risk. There was definite political risk in 2015, and there in it, and to a certain extent, that remains. Uh, and the risk is essentially because there are certain multicultural communities, not all multicultural, not all multicultural communities, but there are certain multicultural communities um, and rural Canadian communities. Uh, that still have a significant amount of stigma attached, um, uh, cultural stigma, historic stigma attached to, the, to cannabis use. And with respect to the multicultural communities, uh, they tend to be extremely politically active and engaged, and they tend to be concentrated 
in geographic regions that we would call swing ridings in Canada. So these are the ridings that all the parties fight over. Uh, and you really kind of have to win them if you want to win government. So these are ridings in and around the greater Toronto area. These are ridings in and around the greater Metro Vancouver area. Uh, they're very, very important. Um, so, so the Liberals did face risk uh, when they included this in their platform in 2015. Uh, they also got some benefits. So you have to remember that when they put this in their platform in 2015, they were in third place. So, so they were in third place, both in terms of the amount of seats they had in the Canadian Parliament, but also in terms of their standing in the public opinion polls. So not a lot of people thought that they would actually win that election. So what they needed to do was to try and find a wedge issue uh, that could help motivate and engage youth voters to, to show up and vote. Uh, and this actually worked for them. Um, if, you look at, if you look back at the data from the 2015 election campaign, uh, voter turnout uh, among the 18 to 35 year old cohort uh, was up significantly. Um, and the bulk of that vote went to the Liberals, uh, not even to the NDP, which is what some people would think, it went to the, it went to the Liberals. And I think that there's at least a partial correlation um, between their stance on cannabis legalization and that enhanced voter turnout. And that enhanced voter turnout really helped them um, gain that majority government back in 2015. Now, that stigma remains in many of those communities that I talked about before. And I suspect, you know, I suspect a lot of the political strategists um, who are advising the main parties have come to the conclusion that there's no real gain in beating the cannabis drum because those who oppose it, those who oppose anything to do with cannabis really oppose anything to do with cannabis. And they're probably thinking those hardcore uh, advocates who were motivated um, to show up to the polls in 2015 are by and large generally placated by, by the fact that legalization has occurred. What I think we as an industry need to do a better job of uh, is educate the electorate because we know that politicians respond to pressure from the electorate. But we need to do a better job of educating the electorate about both the economic benefits of this industry, the social benefits that have come with legalization. So again, according to StatsCan data, we have seen a dramatic decline in, uh, in teen consumption of cannabis since legalization happened. Uh, and that is a direct result of the regulatory framework that was put forward. We've also, you know, I think we also need to do a better job, quite frankly, as an industry of being diverse ourselves. Uh, and that diversity helps us with a much needed outreach to some of these communities that I've been talking about before, which quite frankly, isn't happening uh, from an industry perspective. I think I'll challenge anyone who's watching right now, <laughs> Go to the website of most large Canadian cannabis companies, either retailers or, or licensed producers. Not all, but most. And I think you'll see a uniformity in terms of what type of faces you, <laughs> you, you see yeah. uh, on their executive positions and on their boards, both from a, from a gender diversity perspective, but also from a, from a BIPOC diversity perspective. And I think that needs to change so that we can, as an industry, start reaching out to some of these communities and bringing them on site, because I do think it's possible. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I guess, I mean, I, do you envision, I think there's some dates set for some uh, debates. I think the 8th and 9th of September, I think there, there's a couple of dates uh, set. Do you think there will, I mean, you can predict it or not. Um, 
will this be something that that reporters ask about in the context of debates or that one party hits the other on this issue i guess that's a very sort of bare bones political part of it or do you think that uh, you know is it possible that someone picks up the mantle and says you know what this is you know this is as big as the auto industry we ought to support the industry in these three ways understanding that it's not completely popular if I were advising the Green Party, I would suggest that there is an opportunity for them to, to get some traction and get some attention by bringing, the, by bringing this issue, raising this issue in, in the debates. I think there's a chance that Jagmeet Singh from the NDP might raise the, um, the issue of expungements. Um, but by and large, if you look at polling right now, Canadians, most of the Canadian electorate is absolutely not engaged on the cannabis issue. If they are, it's because they think that there's too many dispensaries in their neighborhood uh, or uh, because they have a fundamental opposition to cannabis in, in the first place. Um, so again, I come back to our responsibility as an industry. Uh, you know, we can't expect government uh, to just do what we think is right because we show them the evidence or we make a very rational case as to why they should you know, make changes to the to the Cannabis Act or why Health Canada regulations change here and there. We have to create an environment uh, where where the government is hearing from the electorate that the electorate wants some of these changes, and that's not going to happen without a more robust and coordinated effort from from the industry um, than we've seen in the past. Yeah, I mean, I want to flip that same thing you said uh, as a positive. Um, is the fact that it's not a burning issue, you know, three years into legalization and it's sort of, except for the people that are, you know, were opposed to it in 2015, continue to be opposed to it now for whatever reason, but it's not a front burner issue in politics in Canada. To my mind, that's kind of actually a good sign that the normalization yeah. of cannabis is just, it just is. And I, and I think the polling also bears that out. So the, the polling has shown since legalization, um, that we have seen a gradual uptick in public acceptance and support uh, for legalization, uh, even amongst some of those multicultural communities uh, that I've been talking about. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, again, I'll come back to the fact that we have some fundamental responsibilities as an industry. You know, if you take my company, uh, for example, High Tide, you know, we pride ourselves in the diversity of our senior team. Um, I think we as an industry, we have to be more diverse. We have to be more in touch uh, with, ca with Canadian communities of all colors, shapes, sizes, genders. And we have to be engaged. We have to be engaged in the political process. Um, you know, if you take a look at the, you know, the, the activity of the auto, auto sector, life sciences, beverage, alcohol, both in provincial capitals and in Ottawa, um, you know, what the cannabis industry is doing is minuscule in, in comparison. And I get it, people are busy running businesses and whatnot, but we have to understand we, we operate in one of the most highly regulated sectors in the country. Uh, and that, it, that means that we have to be fully engaged with not only what we want from government, but what government thinks and hears about us uh, because the two go hand in hand. And we can't just sit there and say, you know what, these, these packaging and marketing regulations are so horrible and you know we can't we, we, we it's it's hurting our ability to fight the illicit market it's fine for us to say that in a boardroom with some public servants at health canada we need to get the voters engaged on the issue on those issues because we need to make the voters understand why it is so important to have a healthy legal regulated industry 
Uh, and then when those voters tell their members of parliament and their elected officials, and you know, that's when the people in the prime minister's office and in the health minister's office will start paying attention to us. Yeah, uh, personal question. Um, we're a month out, a little bit over a month out from, from an election. Uh, this is like your nirvana where you have like cannabis and politics overlapping for the next month. Like, are you excited about what the next couple of weeks in terms of the political landscape that's, uh, that's in front of us? Well, look, I've been a lifelong political junkie and, and full disclosure, you know, I, I do have an involvement uh, in both the federal and provincial uh, liberal parties, uh, federally and, and provincially here in Ontario. So yeah, you know, this is like the Super Bowl uh, for, for, some, for somebody like me. Um, now, if we could just combine like an election with, uh, with MJ Biz or something like that, or Lyft, uh, that would be even cooler, but let's see what happens. Well, we'll, we'll start planning a uh, socially distant um, election night party uh, with, with you, Omar. So we'll- uh, Love it, love it. We'll, we'll look to that, we'll look to that. Omar, love thank it. you again for your time. My pleasure. Insight and uh, I like when politics and cannabis overlap and I think you do too. So thank you for spending time, uh, really insightful. And uh, we'll probably connect with you before the, before the election to get your latest uh, where you think things are going. Always happy to chat. Thanks, Jane.